What's going on, everyone? You are listening to the Modern Markets Podcast, brought to you by FOMOHUD, where we discuss topics ranging from world banking to decentralized platforms. So sit back and enjoy, because you're going to learn today. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Modern Markets Podcast, presented by FOMOHUNT, brought to you by Cal Toro and your host, Titan Inc. And now the summary for today's episode. On today's episode of the Modern Markets Podcast, we have Joe Vez and John Farho, the CEO and Chief Product Officer of Lunar Crush, where they're going to talk about how they track social sentiment waves from social media and how they use this to turn it into insightful data for investors. We also talk about their opinions on Bitcoin and the Bitcoin having advice that they would give to young crypto entrepreneurs, their experience through a highly acclaimed startup accelerator called Techstars, what the world might look like after coronavirus lockdowns, and so much more. Let's go ahead and dive right in. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Modern Markets Podcast. I have Joe and John from Lunar Crush with me today. It's awesome to have you guys here with me. So we're just going to go ahead and get right into the podcast. And uh, Joe, if you would go ahead and just introduce yourself and uh, your journey with Lunar Crush, and then we'll go ahead and jump on um, to John. For sure. And cool, man. Thank you so much for, for having us on here. Excited, to, excited to be here. Um, and yeah, I mean, journey, gosh, where, where can I start? Started kind of learning a little bit more about crypto in we'll call it late 2014 early 2015 um john actually introduced me to it um when we we were working together uh back then as well um and first time i saw it it was kind of like like what like this is like the intersection of like finance and technology and money and it just you just get hooked and you need to learn more and um you know as we kind of just talked about it more and more every day you started buying a little bit you started learning more and then you started finding all of these other projects that were out there and just kind of became enthralled with it really and somewhere along the lines you know maybe a happy hour who knows where when we said you know we have to build something we have to do something because we had a lot of friends that were always asking us like what should i buy what, what what's tron you know like <laughs> all of these things and so we said to ourselves like should we like consult with people what should we do and you know, it's like at the time, like it was, I think at that time, probably 2017. And there was a lot of the ICO stuff was going on. And we we're like, you should not, we should not be giving like financial advice on any of this stuff. You should never be giving financial advice. But it was really like, we wanted to become professionals. We wanted to become experts in the space. And so in order to do that, we needed to build something we want to build. And so, you know, we kind of thought about the ways that we were trading and we were learning about the different projects and you go to Twitter and you've got your feed and you're searching for stuff. And then you go to Reddit and there's kind of forums, a little bit more detail. And then there's some at the time, not as probably as many news sources, but there's news sources out there. And so we were just looking at all of that. And, and you know, you, you see one post from one influencer and it might say, you know, you don't know if they're shilling something. You don't know if it's spam. You don't even know if it's a real account or if it's just like some sort of like avatar and that's actually not even a human. And so we said, how do we put all this and aggregate it into one place so that we can really, you know, listen to what's out there in its you know entirety and not just a small piece of what the market is saying and a couple of people. And so started kind of aggregating a lot of this data. A year probably passes where we get enough data and we feel start to feel comfortable comfortable about the way that we were presenting it. We brought the rest of the team on and and that was kind of what Lunar Crush was. It was just a, a project that we said, could we do this? And when the answer kind of became yes, it was for us. It was, you know, there was no questions asked. It was like, let's go do this full time. That's awesome. That's an awesome story, man. John, if you'll go ahead and uh, share yours as well. Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm an investor first more than anything. And it's it's funny when I met Joe, we were working at an ad agency, a really big ad agency, and 
working in automotive and, you know, I, I probably have 15 years of combined experience working at agencies. And so um, really knew the social media game, knew about SEO, knew about building websites. I built hundreds of websites. I built a website building platform before um, with actually one of our co-founders. Um, and, and, you know, I, it, it's sort of like, like I've always had this interest in finance ever since I was a little kid. Like, I think my dad got me into like stocks and when I was like five, like I, he'd bring home the wall street journal and, uh, I'd, I'd read it and I'd look at all the static prices that would change once a day. Right. And then, you know, internet comes along and, Oh, what's this Yahoo finance thing. Um, and so I've sort of always been interested in finance. And then when I was working at the, at an ad agency, um, a guy I worked with was talking about this Bitcoin thing. And this was back in like 2013. And I was like, what is that? This was pre Mt. Gox. And he was showing, I just still remember he was showing me his Mt. Gox account at the time. You know, <laughs> I shortly thereafter got in small positions, just experimenting. What is this fake internet money? Um, you know, it's spam. Then we had Silk Road and we had all this fun stuff happen. Mt. Gox hack, of course. And it's, it's kind of one of those things that you don't really shake off. Once you start learning about this stuff, you realize how, how messed up the real world currently is with the, the fiat money printing system. And there's no better example than what's going on right now. But really started as an investor. And I think when we started realizing that we were discovering all these other projects, whether it be Ethereum or Litecoin or Monero or Dash or you know, throughout those years, it became clear that we're finding those on social, but we were only subjected to whatever is in our feed. We're only seeing who we follow. We're only seeing who retweets and shares. We're not seeing a, a good cross-section of the whole market and uh, what, what actually people are saying. And we're certainly not knowing how is activity today versus yesterday? Are people more bullish or bearish than yesterday? And it, it's funny because even today, we see it almost every day. We see people say, Oh, it's been a, it's been a long time since anyone's talked about X coin, and we actually have the data to, to prove them wrong, to prove otherwise. And and people are saying things like, "Oh, everyone's so bearish on Bitcoin." They were saying this last week. What? Um, and oh yeah, yeah, all the time. We see we still see it. We were on a, another webinar a little bit ago, a few days ago, that everyone was calling for a crash, and these were experts in Bitcoin before the having. Wow. And it. it, it <laughs> People don't know. You just don't know. Right, and, right. and so, you know, we built this tool to try and uncover what's really going on, not just right at this moment in my feed, but across everything over time. And, and that was really the idea. And, and what's, what's actually unbelievable to us is how correlated some of this stuff is. Because we also didn't know when we started this journey, we didn't know like, well, great, we're capturing all of Twitter. We're capturing all of Reddit news, YouTube, medium, all this stuff. And great, neat. But does it matter to me as an investor? Because all I'm, I'm used to right. just looking at price and volume. I might, you know, I might look at wallets and things like that. What, what exactly was it that made someone create a wallet? What exactly was it that made them go trade? Was it the earnings reports of these coins? Because there are none. There are, yeah. <laughs> um, what exactly other than the community is there? And, and so as we created all like Lunar Crush and, and really improved upon our data collection and improved upon the user experience, we started noticing and we still see it and we're still amazed every single day, again, just how correlated social movements are to price activity. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, that's an awesome story, guys. Similar to what you were saying about your story of like getting into cryptocurrency and, you know, getting into the blockchain industry. You know, once you get in, you have a totally different opinion about finance in general, because then you have to, 
you know, if you, if you understand the history of Bitcoin or, you know, why Bitcoin was created, and then you have to understand that the history of money, you understand that the current system doesn't benefit everybody. And then you just really just want to create products uh, in this industry that, that utilize these new investment tools, cryptocurrency, you know, Bitcoin, and, and you just get so excited about it because it's something you don't really understand. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I got into cryptocurrency is because I, I saw something uh, funny, funny enough, I actually, the reason that I'm in this industry today is because a friend of mine was posting about Litecoin uh, on Twitter in 2017. So that's the very reason that I'm even doing what I'm doing today. So, uh, wow, I, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, that's that's amazing. So first of all, what is Lunar Crush? And you know, how does this product benefit anyone using it? I guess I, I can take it. What is it? So language is important when you're you're starting a new business and you have an opportunity to kind of create the language around what these things are. And sometimes it's you know, it's very simple. Sometimes it's it's more complex. And I think when we first started this, it, you know, we were trying to figure out what it what it was for even ourselves. We knew that social and community really mattered when it came to identifying projects that made sense and trying to protect investors versus things that potentially didn't have a community. But at the end of the day, we're we're a social listening tool that's that's helping you know our customers make better investment decisions in the cryptocurrency space. And so when I say protect consumers, I mean things like you know when you're coming on for the first time and and you don't have a lot of data and you're trying to make educated decisions. A lot of people are saying, well, hey, just buy a little bit of Bitcoin, and then that will kind of get you in and learn a little bit more. But you know the the bottom line in this space is that there's a lot of of problems that bitcoin cannot solve right and and the double spend problem has so many more there's so many more things that this can help so many more problems that that cryptocurrency can help solve that are solved by other blockchains right and so there's a lot of investment opportunity right and there's a lot of opportunity out there and when that happens you've got a lot of people that potentially can create some things that you know might look good from the outside but aren't really get good from the inside and so you know, when we're out there, we're, what we're actually doing is we're aggregating this data from across the web. So we're looking at things like Twitter, Reddit, YouTube, Medium, News. And as we pull these sources in, and, and we're going to be adding more sources as, you know, we, get, we grow, um, is we're really cleaning and organizing this data in a way that makes sense for investors to understand. And we're trying to simplify it, right? And so before Lunar Crush, you didn't really know, you couldn't go out there anywhere and figure out like, hey, as the halving is moving up, are more people talking about it than last time, right? Are there, and you see a lot right now, a lot of people go out and they're like, oh, look at this Google search trend that I did. And they're trying to use that as insights. And at the end of the day, it's not, that's not an insight. It's, it's a little bit more people than last time. It's on a scale of zero to 100. It doesn't show you the actual number of posts or mentions or searches. Google doesn't publish that information. And so what we do is we give people a really good idea of, how is something performing over time with regards to its community? And that community is what we think ultimately, and that adoption is what is driving the value in most of these projects. And so we're helping people really identify value across over, I think now almost 2000 projects. Yeah. And, and I will say that, I mean, like, think about it. Some of the best performing cryptocurrencies uh, have the greatest communities. I mean, it's not like, you, you know, uh, cryptocurrency A with a 15 million, you know, $30 million market cap has a small community. 
that doesn't happen. You know, you, you're going to have like XRP, Link, um, you know, DAG has a really big community. So these cryptocurrencies, and, and like you said, I mean, like social engagement is one of the best indicators to, uh, you know, how, how great a project is or, or how well it's going to perform. And like you said, I mean, you know, using just Google trends is probably not a very good indicator. And, and, and you can't really even use that for a lot of these smaller cryptocurrencies anyway. I mean, you know, Bitcoin having search term, okay, fine. Who's buying Bitcoin? Great. But like, you know, for, for other smaller cryptocurrencies, it's much harder to find that, that important data that you're looking for. Yeah. So, and you got to think too, it's not just, I mean, this, this type of data is still important in the, in the equity markets. It's just less important. Um, I mean, Aaron, not less important. They just, we just don't have that data, like earnings reports and all of these other things. And even when you watch CNBC, I mean, think about the environment right now. Companies don't have earnings. There is no earnings, right? And so it's yeah. like, what is happening? It's what, what are the talking heads on CNBC saying? Who's getting right. the most bailout? That's a data point. But yep. why, is, why is Tesla still now above the price where Elon said it was, it was too expensive it's because people believe and there's a crowd and nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd and so that's true you know it's just extrapolated <laughs> in cryptocurrency much more than it is in any other markets in the world yeah and it's like there's a video that that always circulates around it's like there's a there's a guy just in the middle of uh like a, a i don't know some kind of field dancing and then you know he's the only one doing it but when everybody mm -hmm. else uh, starts to join in, then exactly right. you get more and more people, more and more people, because nobody wants to be the first one. So once you see more and more social volume, obviously you're going to be like, oh, well, this this seems okay. You know, more and more people are doing it. So why don't I do it? I want to use that as an opportunity to talk about a couple metrics yeah. that we're just adding now that we just are launching. So I guess I'll back up and, and explain a little bit how it works with how we collect. So Bitcoin, we start collecting many, many variants of people talking about Bitcoin, because you consider it like a mention, for example, like, and there's, there's, there's the word Bitcoin, there's hashtag Bitcoin, there's ticker BTC, there's hashtag BTC, sometimes there's just BTC. Um, and so there's multiple variants of this. And we collect all of that. We clean it up using machine learning, a homegrown uh, natural language processing library that we've trained and built across tens to hundreds of thousands of tweets. And so we start collecting and then we go deep and we go very deep into the data. And so at first it was just, we were showing volume. So how many, how many people mentioned Bitcoins, Bitcoin today, right? And then it was, let's go deeper and let's capture engagement. Um, let's not just look at the number of posts that are out there. Let's look and see if those posts are actually driving any engagement. So we started to go deeper and said, let's start collecting retweets. Let's, let's start collecting some comments. Let's start doing it across, you know, even on Reddit, let, let's look at karma and things of that nature. And, and so we started collecting these metrics. And so what we're recently launching now is um, trying to tell you, well, great, but how many people are actually posting? And so on an hourly basis, uh, we call it social contributors. And so on an hourly basis, we can tell you how many individual uh, profiles have been posting across these social channels on an hourly basis. And so deeper than that, we also, you know, you're used to looking at things like market cap and maybe a market dominance of a coin. We now also track social dominance. So as an example, if there are, I don't know, 250,000 social posts that we collect in a day, yesterday was about 300,000. Um, so if, if we collect those posts, what percentage allocation did each project have? So two different things here, but what's fascinating is seeing 
the number of people talking about it grow over time. And I'm thinking in my head because we've seen it so much lately. Digibyte, for example. Digibyte is a project that has done nothing but go down for a long time until we started noticing it about three or four months ago. We're going, okay, so price is down, but community is really genuinely growing. We're seeing more people. We're seeing more posts. We're seeing more posts from each person. And we're seeing that, yes, they have a, a, a market cap, a market dominance of maybe like a point or whatever that number is, but their social dominance is like a 2%. Interesting, because the social dominance is outweighing where they are in the market. So what's going on here? What we've seen since, the price rallied 600% in that period of time. Not a bad return. Um, all while a lot of people are still saying bearish things. And so it's really important to not just see that there's two or three people talking about a project, but 3,000 posting often. And, and I think when you have that, if you, if you bring that down the line, you have more liquidity, you have more trading volume, you have more wallet set up, you have more adoption, you have more real world users, more people telling their mom and cousin and brother they should check this thing out. And I think it's just sort of a natural flow. And at a minimum, the data is worth like saying, hey, uh, you, you probably should take a look here. There's something potentially going on. If you just start and stop there, you're already winning. But if you take this a lot further and look at this on a real-time basis, you'll notice that, wow, like that social activity correlates, uh, again, back to in my head, because I've seen Digibyte so much, it was correlating at a five out of five this last month, which is almost unheard of, meaning the social activity perfectly correlated to price. Wow. So, and we, we see it every now and then. Bitcoin was, I think, a 4.1 to 4.3 yesterday. So... You know, there's, there's, it's not always the same. It's not always even, but, but these metrics matter to go deep. Um, this is a very hard problem to solve. Anyone can just start collecting posts. It's way, way more complicated than that. Um, and we're not even talking about the UX of it yet. Um, yeah. The UX layer of this is a really big deal. Yeah. And um, so actually, I want to talk about a, a, a term that you guys spoke about when uh, we talked to you last time in, in private. You mentioned like a, a term social liquidity. And I thought that was the coolest thing because it's and it makes sense. So obviously, you know, the more people who are engaging, the more people who are posting, that means that you have people investing, obviously, you know, obviously, if you have, uh, you know, you know, coin A, with you know a very small amount of social liquidity that well that probably also correlates to you know the actual liquidity of the coin itself i, I like that term social liquidity i don't know if you guys ha have yet or, or maybe you have like bearish and bullish terms in posts themselves is this something that you guys are um currently working on or or have the ability to kind of uh i, I guess have some insights on like like if somebody says oh bitcoin's gonna dump to you know, 5,000, 4,000, whatever, something crazy. And these kinds of posts start to increase. Is this something that you guys are working on? I hope you get my question. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, we, okay. you know, that was actually one of the original, our original thesis was, can we identify the sentiment yeah. inside of the language that, that is happening? I mean, volume of content and, and frequency of content being talked about for each project is, is actually a, is a huge deal. Sentiment in itself is an interesting one because you're going to have people that are, are, you know, holders and are eternally bullish, right? And it's like on a 40% on a dump in Bitcoin, even though it might drop another 10%, they're still going to be bullish, period. Because they're like, I'm buying, I'm buying again. Um, and that, but that's a good thing to understand because 
you know, if there's a baseline bullishness per se, you know, and there's going to be a delta between kind of like the middle of the market and where they're going and what they're thinking about doing. Um, but that's part of what John was saying with our with our library and and the terms as we pull those up, we're actually training each piece of content specifically. And so we kind of go through that manually as the first check. And we're looking at things like how bullish was this piece of content or this tweet or this Reddit post or this news article or how bearish was it? Is it unrelated, right? There's a lot of terms out there and, and I think people are going to learn, you know, when they're starting these projects that, you know, SEO is a big deal and you probably don't want to name your project something that's very, like, you don't want to name it Tablecoin or you don't want to name it Blue or, you know, you want it to be very specific so you can kind of stand out, but it's also from a from an analytics perspective, as we're looking at these terms, we've had to go in and train it. And, you know, I've, I've kind of used this example before, but, you know, in the equity market, like the language is very specific, you know, there, no one's saying, you know, hey, Bank of America got wrecked today, R-E-K-T, and they're spelling it like that, right? You're or right. like, you know, <laughs> like they're not saying Tesla, I mean, they might say Tesla's going to the moon, but they're, yeah. they're probably not saying Duke Energy is going to the moon, right. you know? So it's like, I think, that specific language that we're, we're adapting to and we're training, you know, the machine on is, is very important for us to kind of return back to everyone and say, we have some accurate sentiment analysis and it's, you know, machine learning is never going to be perfect, but the more you train it, the more perfect it gets until it can get better than the human. And then it just keeps going and going, going. It's like you're training eventually, you know, when you're trying to land a plane with a with AI, it doesn't land, it crashes every single time, and then it lands, and then it lands better, better than the human every single time. And so it's the same thing that we're looking at with sentiment is as we train and we get more data and we train, then eventually it's going to get really, really accurate. Yeah, that's but awesome. Just to, just to add to that a little bit, it's never done. Like as Joe's saying, it gets better and better. Mm-hmm. But sentiment, and I'll, I'll also add to that spam collection. I was about um, to ask, yeah. So... The training also works with spam and our spam collection is really, really good. It's really accurate. Sentiment's a lot tougher. There's, there's a lot of different ways to say things and there's a lot of different meanings when you connect phrases, not just saying this word, but it's actually really looking for patterns in things. But spam, spam's a fun one because um, it's a little more obvious in crypto. When someone's using 27 yeah. tickers and memes and 19 emojis and it says sweepstakes in it and... and <laughs> you know, and, and, and all this to be stuff. Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At, at the fake accounts. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Cause it, I mean, yeah. how many fake Elon Musk accounts are there? Like oh, it, it's a lot easier to recognize this kind of stuff more programmatically versus subjectively. And so um, we use a similar pattern of training for spam as well. And that may be more important than anything because there is so much spam. You could see it in your own feed. Um, and if you can't, clear through the clutter, you can't actually understand the, the, the meat of what's going on, right? There's just a bunch of junk and then you're off Twitter. Spam might've even been the first thing, I think. I don't know. I don't know if sentiment or spam was the first focus, but both of yeah. these were really high up on our priority list. Yeah, that's awesome. That was going to be one of my questions. How did you guys filter through the spam? Another question, you guys mentioned a couple of social media platforms earlier. And then we had a conversation about, you know, not, not only spam, but like some of the, the news posts, I think that you guys scrape data from, it's not entirely accurate. Like how do you guys, you know, filter through some of these um, news posts and media like YouTube videos, et cetera? So we, we started with trying to use third part. There's a bunch of third party news aggregation services out there for crypto. And what we found, and this is again, when we launched a year ago, found pretty quick was they're doing things like sometimes collecting tweets 
or YouTube videos or Reddit posts um, and counting them as news. Um, and beyond like the top 30 or 40 projects, we're noticing, oh wow, there's apparently there was one post today or zero posts about this project. That can't be true. We go to Google News and there's like 200. Okay, what's going on? And so what we ended up doing was we still do have some third-party news services that we do bring in um, via their APIs and their feeds. But what we what we decided to focus on was, you know, most of these, a lot of these social posts, whether it be Twitter or Reddit or other channels, are um, have have links in them, and those links, uh, like a lot of those, are news. And so what we ended up doing was saying, okay, well, what if we collected every single link in every single social post that we ever collect, and that's exactly what we did. So we collect every link. We, we then built a system to somewhat whitelist and organize, like are these, are these news sites, um, are these something else? And so we have a whole classification system for domains. I think we collected about 250,000 domains, not, not pages, but domains, um, out of all of those shared links. And so out of that, uh, we have about 3,000 news sites that have been identified. And, and so this goes, this goes pretty deep technically, but we basically have thousands of news sites um, that we collect news from. And so um, just like everything else, it's imperfect. We're getting better at it. We're collecting more and more. Um, but safe to say this pattern as this progresses will, will um, undoubtedly we will have more crypto news than any one period. Not, there's not a chance. We will have it all. So um, if there's a news crypto, a crypto news site, we will have all of those links as long as they're shared. And here's the other fun part of that. If those news articles aren't shared, and no one ever went to them from any social channel, to be honest, it's not our focus. Did they ever really matter? I could start a news website right now and I could post about all these coins that if no one ever shared them, why on earth did I ever create that? What's the point? So right. I, I go further and say, is it even newsworthy if it's not shared at all? And exactly. so that's, that's another fun, interesting topic. Um, but you know, any of us right now, uh, we can create another commoditized news website um, fake logo, fake articles. Some of these are, are written by bots with no, with no authors. Um, and there's a lot of that. Crypto so we're after trying to find <laughs> also the news that's relevant. Right, right. Awesome. Okay. As we approach the Bitcoin halving, uh, and, and by the way, I do want to mention that this episode in particular is being recorded, uh, what are we, three days now? Before the having, as we approach the Bitcoin having, are you guys collecting any kind of unique data around this? I imagine you are. Um, could you expand on that? Yes. So um, there's many different things that we're collecting. I, I guess some of this might be a bit of a longer answer on this stuff. So yes, we, we collect uh, mentions of um, the having um, every single day by hour. And so um, what we've seen, um, just because I will pull it up in front of me, I want to be accurate. Um, we went back to January 1st. And so on January 1st, um, on that day, there was 858 mentions of the Bitcoin having. Right. And so 858 different individual posts said that. And then when we started to go into, say, like last week, um, like say uh, Monday, April 27th, went up to 6,310. Um, yesterday, we had 8,226 mentions. So it's gone up, you know, two, three X um, in a week. And today looks like it's way higher than yesterday so far, but we don't have the day complete yet. 
Right. And so uh, people are really, really talking about this. Um, but we also went deeper and we wanted to look and see, well, who exactly is influential in talking about this stuff? So again, it's great that there's all these mentions. That's a really good macro kind of thing to look at. But we wanted to know who was most engaging. And so I could tell you who, I'll, I'll give you the top five, um, who the most engaging uh, social accounts are that um, are having. And so one of them is Plan B, which is 100 oh, yeah. trillion USD is their yep. handle. Uh, Crypto.com. Uh, we've got the Moon Carl. He's at the Moon oh, Carl. We've Carl. got Pomp, of course. Yep. Yeah. We got we got a Pompliano. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got our our good friend Satoshi Flipper. So what we did was we looked at well, how many times are they posting? How much engagement are they getting per post? Um, we also looked at what was fascinating was the the accounts that have like the biggest following. For example, Reuters and Bloomberg, Financial Times, CNBC. So these, these accounts have a lot of followers, right? Yes. And what was fascinating was here we are looking at more mainstream accounts and we're noticing that, yes, they are there. And it's, in fact, they're starting to post a lot more about it, but um, the last few days, because now it's newsworthy. Right. But those accounts have been posting, like I'll take Reuters and Bloomberg and, you know, I'll, I'll just take Reuters. They've done five tweets about the having. They have, what is that? 21 million followers. They only got 324 engagements. Oh my. So what we have here, we have a situation where like we have plan B, 100 right. trillion USD has exponentially more engagements on their posts than Reuters does. So when we started looking at this data, the things that I think probably stuck out the most are the people who you'd expect to have the most influence in crypto. They do not. Um, the people that have the most influence in crypto they put in a lot of hard work. They do a yeah. lot of postings multiple times a day. They have big followings, they have big engagement, but it, it just, it just goes to show that we've got this kind of polarizing thing going on here where there's the traditional financial media um, trying to get in on this. And the audience is just so very different that they're not latching on. And right. so, um, it almost lends itself to a whole new crop of financial media companies in the future um, that are focused around crypto, you know, and, and I think we've seen things like, like Cheddar, for example, has a weekly crypto show that I think is 30 minutes or 45 minutes or something. If you can find it and know when it's on, we're going to see the reverse. You're going to see 24 hour crypto networks and it's going to be sponsored, but it's going to be brought to you by people you never heard of before. Right. So I, I just find that this data is really a, um, it's a it's a microscopic piece of a bigger picture where there's this whole new media kind of world that's beginning. There's also like a I think there's a, a marketing problem. It's like Satoshi yeah, kind of screwed up with calling it the having like like some of my friends that aren't as familiar in the space will be like, oh, is it like a stock split? You know, like having like do I get <laughs> yeah. do my are mine worth less? Like I think there's right. some confusion, and I know it sounds yeah. so stupid, but it's like. If you have no idea and you're not in the space, I mean, a lot of us have been in the space now for half of a decade. Some people, ten years. It's like you're 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 breeding, you know, crypto. Mm -hmm. And for some people that are still coming in, it's still a small market. It's like, it's a confusing thing. And so I think, you know, some of those bigger, you know, publications might not be explaining it, or it's like the the headline doesn't grab like they they want it to, and so they use other terms where you got the people that are deeply involved with it that are the ones that are really talking about it and really interested in what's happening also because they're the investors right now. 
Yeah, I mean, the big thing is like, you know, Reuters, it's, it's about like, you know, marketing in this industry in particular. I mean, it's probably marketing in general, but like Reuters is out here just posting a, an article and then, you know, something basic like, oh, Bitcoin having coming up. Whereas, you know, Plan B is actually posting really cool information like the, the stock to flow uh, chart, which, you know, may or may not be useful or not, but it doesn't matter because people are still engaging with it because it's, it seems to be interesting uh, information that, that correlates really well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's also like the shift in marketing. Influencers are the new media. It's, it's almost like the, the media is back in the hands of the people again. You know, look at Wendy's. I mean, they're, they're out here like streaming Twitch now. I don't know if you guys knew, they're out here uh, with the Wendy's, um, you know, employees streaming on Twitch playing Animal Crossing. So, it, they're trying to adhere to, yeah, you know, smart. yeah, yeah. I, I saw them uh, on the, on TikTok uh, streaming on Twitch. And that's another thing. I mean, TikTok, I mean, uh, I, I don't think uh, TikTok even has any APIs available yet, but I, you know, I, I'd be interested to see what kind of data you, know, you could pull from that when they, when they finally pull out something. But uh, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting uh, to see, to see the marketing shift and whatnot. Well, so when you talk about Wendy's too, you talk about a company that has a CMO and mm-hmm. is on message. Right. And, yeah. and how important is it? Do we all know to have an organization be on message and be out there saying the same thing, saying something that's clear, concise, easily understandable when you're looking at at Bitcoin specifically, there is no CMO of Bitcoin, like right. they're not doing a Super Bowl ad. Right. And so you've got a lot of different different opinions out there from people that are maximalist to people that believe in the entire market, like bringing up together to, you know, who's Satoshi to who's not Satoshi. Like there's so many different things that it's like. You know, it's almost like we don't have our shit together, right? And when you don't have that together, then it becomes the message and the, I guess, the adoption becomes potentially a little bit harder. I don't, I'm, I don't know how to solve that. I'm just pointing out, you know, it, it's something that as a, as a community and in the crypto space that we should be spending a little bit more time on is, is what is, you know, potentially trying to cut, get on message and, and get on, you know, it's like you've got anarchists and nihilists and you've got all these kind of people that are a little bit all over the place with what they're trying to do but in, at the end of the day we're just trying to create a better world for people to yes. you know to to bank and to live better lives and to get a little bit of their money back and yeah um, and, and they're and very emotional like, about it and that's the thing about like you know marketing these days you know just just try to derive emotion you know when you when you're so null and void in your marketing you know good luck with that <laughs> it's not going to work out right I, I've been on a real big trip here ever since uh, a few different seminars that we've been on recently where, uh, look, there, there's people being hypocritical in our space. They keep talking about mainstream adoption and they do nothing yeah. to make it happen. Yeah. Um, everyone talks about these glory days in the future where everyone's going to be you know, trading with crypto and buying everything with crypto and everything's going to have a smart contract, but they're not doing anything. They're talking to the same people. They're building tools for the same scientific uh, crowd right. that, that is crypto. Yep. And you know, you, you've, got, you've got to step outside of building solutions for other technical individuals and that's all. What we're, there's a couple projects that are on my mind because we've seen it in the last couple of days. One, there's a, there's a project called Chili's that has a platform called Socios and they're working with a lot of the European soccer teams and they're tokenizing them. Yesterday they announced they're tokenizing the UFC. And, oh, that's cool. and so I've seen it's very, very like cool. CHZ. I haven't actually seen what they're doing. CHZ, yeah. CHZ. And so, so I, you know, I don't care if you love or hate the project or if you're, you know, a Bitcoin maximalist and don't look at anything else, dude, that's mainstream adoption right there. That yeah. is exactly what the space needs. We need, you know, if you just look at like, like FC Barcelona, Barcelona is, 
being tokenized on their platform. Barcelona has uh, 35 and a half million people on Twitter, just Twitter alone, more on Facebook. And that, ex- that doesn't even include the players. Yeah, that's true. What, what's, the, what's the social value of, of Barcelona mentioning their token in one tweet? Golly. It's enormous. Not, enormous. not for Chili's, for crypto, it's enormous. Yeah. UFC, what if Conor McGregor says something? What if Dana White says something? Right. And so these are the kinds of things that are huge. And, and today, another example is we saw Zillica. Zillica announced a tipping product that they've got. And so they're using a smart contract built on their platform that will tip people that use certain hashtags for certain campaigns that automatically tip them just via DM on Twitter. And, you know, these are the kinds of things, look, they're investing in their own project, right? They're using their own funds to grow and, and derive mainstream adoption, right? There's hardly any projects doing this. And it blows my mind. Everyone still goes to crypto conferences, talking to the same thousand people, yeah. um, talking about how smart contracts are the future, barely technically making them work, right? But no one's doing, no one's using anything. And so I think, you know, a lot of respect to these projects that are stepping out looking for that mainstream stream adoption and taking risks. I mean, these are startups. They have teams. It's not Bitcoin. Bitcoin's its own animal, but most of these alts are actual startups yes. with actual teams that are on actual payroll. Yep. And so it doesn't make them a shit coin as everyone seems to call them. <laughs> um, it makes them startups. Yeah, yeah. And so if you're a startup, you need product market fit, just like what we've been trying to do, we don't have a token, but it's no different. If you have no product market fit, where are you? What are you doing? You're right. you're basically surviving off of your ICO funds from 2016, 2017, and then you're eventually out of business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's, that's a very good point. It's like building a um, you know, a project in your garage, but have having actually like no uh, mainstream use case for it. Yeah, it's cool. You know, you can show your friends off. Uh, you know, your little project, but like, how does this help everybody? And so, you know, what you guys are building is, is, is a platform that's going to allow people to take all this social data that may not make much sense to anybody on the outside, especially somebody, you know, from the financial or the traditional financial, uh, financial industry, and you're taking it and you're, you're making sense of it. Now, this is, this is something that I, I think, obviously, and I talk about this a lot, you know, I, I talk about, you know, the fact that there's, there's not very many mainstream use cases for a lot of the stuff that's in crypto, you know, they're not trying to bridge the gap and, 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 uh, you know, take information at the very least and, and, you know, try to translate it for people. So I agree. Totally agree. And actually, um, you know, going back to, to the, the comment you made about uh, these altcoins being startups, we, we talked about this at one point where, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum um, are kind of like the, the, the revenue or the, uh, the reserves that uh, fund these startups. The, a lot of these startups, they'll, they'll use, uh, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum that they accumulate from, you know, the ICO sale, IEO, whatever. And of course, those reserves are what they use to survive. So you're essentially, you're, you know, these, you're funding these startups. And if they don't have a mainstream use case, uh, well, in, in the case of like, you know, from 2017 to now, you die, you don't survive. They were just grossly overfunded. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of these, these tokens too, I mean, so there's no max supply or the, or, yeah. or most of it hasn't been released yet. So they've got these reserves. I mean, and a lot of this doesn't sound like a really good solid investment. Yeah. You know, when, when you, <laughs> you know, one of the reasons Bitcoin has its value, maybe the core reason mm-hmm. is that there's 21 million. Yes. You know, and, and, and look at what XRP is doing. 
you know, every month I love the, uh, the well trades, the well alerts that you get. And it's like, Oh, I don't know, like another billion XRP has been unlocked. Oh, and, and yeah, it's like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to just sit here and be like, funding this thing forever. And it's a tough equation. You got to really know what's going on on, on, on some of these. Right. And then, and then the ripple IPO comes out and then what then? At least, at least they're, I think they're attempting to, <laughs> yeah. to get product market fit and there's some use case yeah, there and in providing international liquidity. <laughs> yeah. I think they, they're, tr they're trying, I think it's just like you're saying it it's like any other startup, it becomes a little bit less um, attractive when, you know, you get flooded out when you get diluted. Right. It's and, dangerous. And how, yeah. And it, so it's just a little bit less attractive, but it's like, at least they're out there. I think still trying. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I know there, there is, I mean, I, I've used XRP before. It's, it's pretty fast. So I, I know they're definitely trying. It's just like, you know, when you raise so much money and, and you start selling off so much, it just starts to look really bad in the public eye. But yeah, right. I, I do agree. What would you guys be doing if you were not running Lunar Crush. <laughs> well, you want to go first? I, I, yeah, I mean, before before I was, do, it's kind of funny because before I was doing this, well, I went from working at agencies and then I got into artificial intelligence and then I I ran the UX and design team at a big AI company. We were building an operating system for artificial intelligence, basically, where wow. you took hundreds of engines and with different cognitive capabilities. And then you could process data. So for example, you could transcribe videos, do facial recognition. You could redact faces out of videos and things like that using AI, but it's using many engines simultaneously together. And so I was responsible for building the UI to access all of that for the customers. And so um, big public company I was working for. So I would probably, but now I'm doing something similar. It's just right. kind of funny. Yeah. You just building UI, <laughs> brought your skills Lots over. of data. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so it's the same thing. Um, I'd probably be doing something similar, just UX and design and product management and things like that. Um, but I also seem to do a lot of marketing too. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah, probably UX. I'd probably just be surfing, I think. Yep. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> surfing or, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think like kind of part of my passion is like, you know, psychology and, you know, working with people one-on-one -on -one and, and trying to kind of tease out you know, what, what drives someone and, and helping kind of inspire confidence. And um, so I'd probably be working more one-on-one -on -one with people, you know, versus, you know, working in a, in a large organization. I've worked in super large organizations, you know, a majority of my career and I, and I love it. Um, I've worked in, you know, I've started other startups before and I love that too. And I think it's like the connection that you can get with a small team is, is, is pretty amazing. And so I think for, for me, my skill set lies from like, you know, paper napkin to, you know, kind of midsize. And, and that's where I like to, I like to interact and, and to be. Awesome. Yeah. And actually, this is a great transition into uh, your experience with, with Techstars. So uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, like Techstars Accelerator is an, an incubator for startup growth. So uh, you guys had the opportunity to go through Techstars. So what was that experience like for you guys? Techstars was great. I mean, so, you know, for like you're saying, for people that don't know, I mean, it's a, it's a global accelerator um, you know, they're, I think they're in like almost a hundred cities globally and, and, you know, they, they do about, you know, depending on the class, they try to stick around 10 startups per class. You go in, um, you know, it's almost like a three month like boot camp. you know, in order to just kind of reset your, your business and all, you know, businesses of different sizes go in there. I mean, different programs have, you know, some really early stage companies, but then, you know, you look at, you know, some of the programs they've done in the past, like, you know, things with Disney and you've got companies that are going in there that already have a ton of funding and everything. But 
you know, the goal of it is just to recalibrate your, your business. And, you know, we did um, the Techstars LA program here uh, last year uh, from July to October. Um, and it was a great experience. I, I actually have done a Techstars uh, program before that back in Kansas City in 2014. So I've, I've done it twice now. Um, and so, awesome. you know, obviously that's kind of like the seal of, a, of approval for that. You know, there's a, there's a ton of value there. And um, it's also great to, to see other companies at those stages. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, if you're in an office with 10 other companies and, and there's, you know, 10, 10 other, you know, management teams there and you're kind of bouncing ideas and there's things that are completely separate than what you're doing, you know, it's, it's cool. There's, you know, there were people in our last program, there were people that were dropping packages out of the, out of the sky and, you know, delivering in rural areas and had some amazing software to do that. And, um, you know, there were companies that were helping, you know, parents pay for education simpler and, and kind of crowdsourcing their families income to help, you know, pay for stuff. And it was just an amazing opportunity to learn from really smart people and to kind of interact with the, with a crew of, of people that are, are pushing just as hard as you're pushing. I, I think the big thing for me, my takeaway was the environment of it. I mean, imagine sitting yourself all day, every day, for 12, 13 hours in the midst of people all trying to start something. So like, it's inspiring. It's a great environment. You know? Yeah, that's awesome. It is, it is. It's like, you know, you could get a job anywhere and never ever have that feeling, you know, and, and to just be surrounding yourself and not, not like a WeWork or a tech space or any of these kinds of things, but actual companies that are all surrounding you in one big room, you're all meeting with some of the biggest minds out there and other, and other, other businesses. There's all these guests that come in and talk to you and give you pointers and advice and, you know, different VCs coming in, you know, and, and advisors. I mean, we met uh, Freddie, one of our advisors there, you know, it's just, I think just if anything, I mean, for me, you know, I didn't just start working. I'm in, I'm, I'm in my early forties now. So I was old for, for starting, for going into tech stars. Yeah. And it's like, it's like a kickstart. It's like you start over again. It kickstarts your thinking. I, I think it's really easy to, to get further along in your career, make your way up and feel safe and stop taking risks. And I think that, I don't know, nothing's felt better in my career than kind of saying, all right, it's time to, you know, eat it for a little while make less money, take more risk, convince my wife to go, it's, this is a great idea. Trust me. Trust me. This is awesome. It's going to be great. Um, yeah. You can always go back and get another job someday, but, right. but to actually do a startup, I mean, I, I encourage my own kids to do that. I'm like, you know, great. Go to college, do a startup. It's okay to fail. Nothing mm -hmm. wrong with that. Fail 10 times. It's cool. You have yeah. nothing to lose in your twenties. What are you doing getting a consistent job? Yeah. I agree. You know? Yeah, that's kind of why I'm no here. Sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah I, I, I really like that. I mean, that's, you know, I think the, the first thing, you know, what you said is, is the environment, just being around a, a bunch of other, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, that's, that's pretty exciting on its own. You know, people that, that think the way an entrepreneur thinks is, you know, not, you're not, you're not too big to fail, like n nothing is too difficult. And you'll figure out, you know, how to, to make things work. And that kind of environment, those types of people are the types of people that, you know, I myself want to, you know, surround myself with. And, and I really do try to do that uh, to this day, which is, you know, why, you know, my, my team is, uh, we've been able to, to spend as much time as we have together and, and not kill each other. Because um, we're all the same. Yeah, we're all the same, uh, you know, type of personality. We just want to, to make it work, you know, whether failure or not, we're, we're going to figure it out. And I think that's, that's really cool. Um, you know, being able to, to be around those types of people and, and, um, it must've been a huge accomplishment as well. I mean, especially for you, Joe, what you got two 
under your belt, like let alone just getting one. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it was great. And I think it's, it's, it's a hard thing to go and do because it is three months of your time. And, and the older you get, like John was saying, it, it's more disruptive to your lifestyle and, and your, you know, if you have a family and, you know, travel and, um, you know, a lot of people that do these programs come from other cities, sometimes other countries, they have to uproot whether their family or be away from their family or their significant other for a long period of time. And so, you know, it was almost, it was almost a harder decision going into it the second time being, you know, a little bit older, but then also knowing the amount of work that you were going to have to do and the amount of time that you were going to have to take. But, you know, like if you're a true entrepreneur, you know, you just don't know any other way. Like, you know, it, it it's like, you know, I just remember I was probably trying to convince John or do something. And, you know, it was just like, I didn't know any other way. Like, let's do this thing. Let's go, let's build, let's see what we're, let's see where this takes us, you know, and you just have to take the first step. And once you take the first step, everything else, you know, becomes easier. And it's like, yeah. you know, setting a goal, you know, so it's like, you don't, you have to set a goal that you might, you might not know how to achieve, but once you set that goal and you make that decision, then you start working backwards and you figure it out, you know, you figure out how you're going to get there. But I think a lot right. of people, might just be, especially for the younger folks, they're just a little bit more nervous. Their parents are telling them, hey, go to school, go do this, go work for this consulting company, go work for this large company, here's the path, get a safe job. And I think what, what people don't realize is the amount of risk that you're actually taking is very minimal at the younger ages. Like it's, yes. it's, it's minuscule. And then the amount, like we always say, like our company's month is another company's year, you know? And I learned that from, you know, a good friend of mine, Doug Lambert, he, he said that. And I was like, holy shit, that's so true. And it's what you learn, even in one year of a startup could be five, six years of what you're going to learn that's at incredible. a large company. And you can yeah. always go learn. If you go do a startup and you do that for two years, and then you go and interview for one of these consulting jobs, you're going to be so far ahead of where the rest of these candidates are that it's like, you know, and all you had to do is, you know, save a little bit of money or try to live with a couple of people when you're younger. And so I just, everyone that has the opportunity to do it, I would say, take the risk, go figure it out, go learn, and you're going to be better for it. That's awesome. And I'll add, do it whenever it makes sense. If you're 70 years old, go do it. If you're 90, <laughs> go do it. Yeah. If you're 18, go do it. The biggest thing, I've got a lot of friends that have these really comfortable, stable jobs. They're going to look back when they're 80 and say, coulda, woulda, shoulda, you know, yeah. like take some risks in your life, go out there, build something, learn something. You know, we're, we're growing, we're, we're doubling month over month on our growth. I, I mean, working for a, a big company, you're lucky if you get 10, 10% growth or in this environment, you're lucky if you, if you're growing zero, all I can say is just take some risk. It doesn't matter where you are in your life. Yeah. And I will always, you know, tell people, um, you know, I, I actually, I started a company at uh, 19 years old. Uh, it was an IT company. Um, you know, it's funny because I thought that was what I was going to do, you know, for the rest of my life. You know, uh, I started that company and we did for, uh, fairly well for a while. But, uh, you know, eventually, you know, it, things didn't work out and, and I ended up failing. But what I learned from going through that whole process and, and failing, you know, in that business was so much more than I could have ever read from a book or learn from somebody, uh, you know, giving me advice or watch from a video, you know, you have to experience these things to truly understand how not to do things basically. And then the other thing is, you know, I don't want to live life with regrets. You know, I don't want to be, you know, 60, 70 years old and ask myself, uh, you know, was it worth it? Or, you know, should, should I have gone a different direction? Should I have, you know, uh, taken that opportunity to start that business or, or work with that company. You know, I, I don't want to be like that. I want to, I want to take the opportunities that are directly in front of me and I want to just make it work. And if it doesn't, cool. I learned something. I learned a lot from it probably. So and I want to ask you guys um, in particular, 
What advice would you guys give startups in the crypto industry? We, we briefly spoke about, you know, a lot of the companies in the crypto industry, but what advice would you give any startups that are, you know, trying to go mainstream, but, but kind of bridge the gap from crypto to mainstream? I think one thing I would, I would tell people to be, well, I mean, if you're in this space, you're, you're obviously getting really passionate. Um, you know, and I, and I think it was the same thing for us when we got started, it was almost like, are you going to go full-time crypto? You know, cause there's a lot of people that along the way have kind of dabbled and that, that tends to happen when there's not an easy path to monetization in any, any startup, but crypto specific, it's probably a little bit longer journey, you know, outside of some of the exchanges that are really kind of sucking up a lot of the monetization in the space, especially just some of the bigger ones. I think the majority of the people in our space that are W2 employees work for exchanges. It's over 50 to 60%, but probably more. Um, so I would say just be cognizant of, you know, starting something, being super lean at the beginning, doing something part time, especially in today's world where, you know, you know, we've got unemployment. It's not just in the U.S., it's across the world. So it's like, you know, do that, start attending some of these webinars, start attending some of the things, get into the industry, but really just be ready to, you know, figure maybe some product market fit out while you're doing something else. You know, and you're going to have to potentially work a couple of things and that's okay. It's not going to be super easy when you're doing a, a, like a high powered tech startup, even crypto or not, you know, you're, you're building for what is the future? You're building for the economy that's five to 10 years from now. You're not building for today. If you wanted to do that, you can just start a pizza shop and monetize tomorrow. You know, there's demand. Right, there. right. So it's like, it's a different type of thing and be, just be prepared for that. Also be prepared for like a longer journey. Um, I think especially like the first time around when I was doing a startup, I kind of was like, I didn't know the timetables that well. I just kind of thought like, okay, you know, I'm 25, like, you know, how many years is this going to take or what am I going to do? And then you look at things like Uber, like Uber in 2007, 2008, they were probably kicking the idea around even before that. And the technology wasn't there. And then it wasn't even until five years after that, really, that people out of San Francisco and some of the large cities even started to use it. So it's like, okay, if Uber's taking four years to go mainstream, five years to go mainstream, you have to be prepared to ride that, you know, right, and right. it's not a short journey. So it's like, I would say, just get excited about that though, because what you're going to learn in the path and the, you know, the ideas that you're going to get and the people you're going to meet along the way, like that's what the passion has to be. And then also don't over, don't overclock your processor, right? Like every day in, in a startup, every day could be the best and worst day of your life over and over and over again. It really can. <laughs> you can wake up in the morning, Bitcoin could yeah, be up yeah. 20%. You know, you had a couple of great calls, things are going good. And by the end of the day, one of your customers leaves and Bitcoin's down 30%, yeah. right? So it's like, that's life though. So don't yeah. overclock your, you know, your, your, your body, your mind, and just stay even and realize that if you don't stay even, then you're just going to get burnt out way too fast and you're going to get depressed and it's going to be a really tough journey. You said a few things that resonated, but like, you know, you're building for tomorrow. And I think, I think that that also relates to, you're going to need funding. You're going to need funding. And I should say before you're going to get funding, you're going to need a team that complements each other. Don't just partner up with your buddies that are exactly the same that do exactly the same thing that you do because it's not going to work. Like everyone on our team does exactly something unique. And I, I can say for certain that any one of us can't do each other's job. Like yeah. we are very specific in what we do. What that led to was we were able to go to market without any funding. We were, we were literally able to launch. Right. part-time doing this part-time without risking our day jobs and leaving when the time was appropriate 
And for us to keep doing this and to go full time, yes, it meant Techstars that gave us a little bit of money, a little bit to get us through a little while, a few of us. And then you're going to need funding. And so, you know, we initially partnered with Draper Gorin Home, Tim Draper, uh, Alan Gorin, and Joseph Holm. They're amazing, and they get it. I, I'd say, you know, there was a there was a time when we were in Techstars, we were meeting with, what was it, eight to 10 investors coming in every day. And you have to keep every hour, you're repitching your company, which actually is a really, really good exercise. Yeah. Um, you learn exactly what resonates and it's not all the same with every person you talk to. You have to figure out where they are in crypto. There's a lot of, a lot of investors out there, like we would meet and talk to and they'd say, oh yeah, I think my brother bought a Bitcoin. Hold on. Let me text him. See if he still owns the Bitcoin. They know nothing <laughs> about crypto. Yeah. But they, they cut million dollar checks. So all the time for, you know, the Airbnb for dogs, you know, like, <laughs> like they don't, they just yeah. don't know crypto. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so when we partnered with, you know, Draper Gorn home came in and it was like, you know, they, they put on summits and conferences. They help work with startups. They're like very savvy marketers. Pick your investors. Well, it's mm. a big piece of advice. Don't just take a check from someone and then have them call you every day to ask you how much money you made yesterday. Yeah. You know, like pick partners. They're going to help grow your business. That's a huge deal when you're in an environment where you might not be completely profitable or you might have even worse. You might have no revenue at all for a long time, for years. So, but it takes time to build this stuff up. And then you got to realize, well, where is crypto in general, aside from your company, from a macro view, where exactly is crypto today? Um, it's early. It's mm -hmm. still early. Even if you're someone that got in, you know, seven, eight years ago, it's early in 2020, extremely early. And so, you know, considering the trajectory, the growth rate, the potential, you need partners that get it, that they're going to need to give you funding. You're going to need to support a team full time as much as you possibly can. And good luck with trying to ICO to do that. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Speaking of ICOs, I guess uh, I've got one more question after this one, but um, I, I guess it's a, it's a broad question, but how do you guys feel about ICOs? Um, it, obviously, it's a interesting way to crowdfund. Um, of course, there's IEOs and, you know, STOs, yada, yada. I mean, how do you guys feel about, um, you know, some of these crowdfunding mechanisms? I like them. I mean, I think that obviously they're like, you need to protect investors. I mean, obviously it's a free market. People can make their own decisions. I think it's really important to give um, people access to investment vehicles that, you know, right now only potentially affluent investors, you know, can invest in. I think it's super important to allow people to make, make decisions, but you, there needs to be some protection in place. Like there just does. I mean, the, the, you know, if there's an average investor that has a 401k right now that invests in, you know, broader markets and they're, someone's kind of managing it through a larger fund and they take a fee, you need some sort of protection around how does this person that has literally no idea what crypto is, but they need exposure to it or they get left behind because their fiat currency is devaluing because everything else is going up or they're printing too much. And so I like what it stands for. I mean, there's all these other crowdsourcing you know, equity raise type platforms that are out there that I think are really cool. But, you know, the, the speed at which you can raise and launch new ideas through, you know, a crowdsource ICO, if done correctly and legally, I think would be a really powerful thing um, that a lot of people would love to be a part of, even if it's a micro investment, right? It, it doesn't necessarily need to be Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to dump like half my net worth into this random ICO of this thing. I don't know. It's like, what if it's literally $5, right? And, but then you did 5,000 of those, right? So it's right. like spreading 
diversifying has always been important, right? And so it's like if they could, if we could find a way, um, I think, to, to make it easier for people and make it more transparent. And that's kind of part of what we're trying to do at Lunar Crush is when these things come online, how do you value some of these things and yeah. how do you appropriately assess them? There's one side of this. If I took the Bitcoin maximalist view here, I could say this is all crap. There should be no <laughs> such thing as an ICO. Right. I think that's not realistic. It's not, it's not what the future looks like. There will be some form of, of digitized securities, of tokenization. I think the problem and the challenge becomes the, the track record that's, in a, that's been established so far with a lot of these ICOs. You know, we see that there, there's been over 5,000 coins, 5,000. There probably would be 500,000 at some point. Yeah, but, probably. But, but that doesn't mean they're going to be worth anything. Right. So I, I think it, I, I take the standpoint of let the market decide if these are legitimate or not and establish a proper framework where everyone's happy. The challenge I see is I don't, I, I can't imagine these are, these are things that transcend borders. I can't imagine any format that all countries will say, yep, that's good. Yeah, that's a good point. Even, or even potentially any one because yeah. it transcends that one's borders. Yep. And so we run into this like regulatory like problem. What are the guardrails? What's legal? What's not? Um, I think if that's established, I love it. I love the idea of ICOs. I think it's great. If they're crap and garbage, let them go to zero. Yeah. If they've got something. I seem to recall Tezos, for example. Tezos did an ICO. I, I invested in their ICO. And I thought it was great. It was a great project. Um, still is. It's fantastic yeah, it is. what they're doing. It's a really great project. They ICO'd. But for, for every one that's a Tezos, there's 1,500 that are like, you know, way down and they're, they're worth right. nothing and they have no max supply and they, they just didn't establish the right rules. But, but is the market not deciding that it's crap right. versus it's Tezos? Yeah. I so mean, yeah. I, I feel like let the market decide, but the problem still comes back to what is the regulatory framework to do this properly? I mean, even when we started our, our, our company, we were we were debating do should we should we do a token? There's a there's a million and one scenarios that we think we can establish value for it, but does, but is that something that makes sense? Wait a second, are we going to end up in a legal nightmare and, and blow millions of dollars just trying to legally get through doing that in the first place? We would, you know, it it didn't make sense for us. We still we still talk to people that are talking about doing ICOs. It blows my mind. Like I'm like where where are you doing that and how will the market be like receptive to that yeah so i think again bottom line it's a uh it's a regulatory problem but a really good idea yeah and i will agree with both of you on that i think it's definitely cool in the way that you can you know raise money you know very quickly and and globally and, and actually be accessible to you know pretty much anybody on the planet uh barring a few exceptions um, but I, I do obviously think, and yeah, I also like the, the fact that it's like, it's like, you know, the free market, let, let it play out, you know, let, let people figure out, you know, if, if this is crap or not, but also I think we need to come up with better indicators of what value is in this industry in general. Like we don't have, you know, earnings reports necessarily from any of the cryptocurrencies in this industry. And, and you can just, you know, pull up a white paper. Oh, or, or copy a white paper uh, and um, <laughs> <laughs> don't say who. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we, we're going to have to figure out, you know, how to actually evaluate 
a lot of these these cryptocurrencies. And if we do figure that out, I'm completely fine with ICOs. Now, IEOs are a little weird just because of, you know, we, we know exchanges, um, you know, some exchanges aren't exactly, uh, you know, honest and, and, uh, and whatnot. And, and the process of, of getting on some of these exchanges for IEOs is a little strange. I think even ICOs seem to be a better mechanism than IEOs just because of the way, you know, the, how centralized exchanges are in this industry. So I, I do like it. I just think we have to figure out a better way of evaluating cryptocurrencies in this industry. Yeah, that's right. fair. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is not financial advice, but what are your predictions before, after, and one year uh, ahead of now for Bitcoin price predictions? Well, I don't know if I want to make an exact price prediction, (laughs) say, uh, but I, you know, the way that I kind of think about these these happenings is it's it's the built-in anti-inflationary you know it's it's a way it's a way to increase value and supply in a in a very interesting way and i technically there is no difference right like the the happening really i mean outside of you know are miners profitable quote unquote is what people that's like the one sticking point on this and it's it's almost like well it doesn't matter right like if the price needs to go down a little bit before they get profitable again, it, you know, like does the hash rate fall, you know, when some miners go away, like we're solving some of this, like there's big companies that are solving some of these things, shooting satellites into space to keep the network going. Like there's a lot of things around this that I think influence like what the value is. But at the end of the day, the price of Bitcoin is purely around its, its store value yep. and its function. And its store value and its function has not changed since the inception, the first day, the first second, and into the future. It's it's doing the exact same function that right. it's going to do now into the future. And so I think that as if anything, all the happening does is is get a little bit more marketing out there, get people talking about it, which would, you would think increase the attention, which would increase the demand. And then if the supply is going down, you would think that you know price would move. But as we've learned about you know, psychology and human psychology doesn't work that way, right? Nope. Markets don't always like, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not always these, rational. <laughs> yeah. You know, buy the rumor, sell the news is like, that's a real thing. And that happens a lot. And, you know, I think that that's something that people need to be cognizant of. So, but I, what I would say is, you know, we wouldn't be in this industry and, and working towards, you know, some of these things if we didn't think that there was still a lot of value to Bitcoin and the rest of the cryptocurrencies that are out there. Very good points. I have a little different view than you probably usually hear. I view this like, so if I took Bitcoin, I look at it as macro, macro trends. It's attached to macro trends. It's attached to macro events. I look at altcoins as more or less startups that are attached to micro trends. And in, in many scenarios, they are captive to Bitcoin success or not. Some move different. But if I look at Bitcoin as being attached to macro trends, it's sort of a, a method of getting off of that macro environment. And so it's more or less, how much are you willing to pay to get off of the macro environment? And right now, the macro environment is printing endless money. The macro environment is shut down. The macro environment has like skyrocketing unemployment rates. And so you have to ask yourself, not what is the price of Bitcoin going to do tomorrow? Because some guy on Twitter drew a line on a chart and he tells me I should buy or sell. And that is the wrong perspective to have. The right perspective to have is let's never sell because by the time you want to sell, you won't want to sell because it's better money. And that's a long ways from here. 
you're in the hundreds of thousands or millions for that to be the case. And if that happens, like think of, think of where the dollar is. The dollar is garbage. Yeah. Like it, it and if Bitcoin's in the millions, yep. it means that you're not just going to dump it because you made some money and you're going to go back into these quality dollars. So the question just becomes to me, how much are you willing to pay to get off of the current macro environment? And to me, it looks like that macro environment is weakening yep. and the amount that you're going to pay for Bitcoin is going to go up as a result. Yeah. And it, it seems to me if you're comparing it to money and if you look at most of the world, including oil, that's a fun topic, oh, yeah. um, is denominated in dollars because you can only buy oil with U.S. dollars. Right. That's going to change. Yep. Um, but if you look at all of that together and you, and you realize just how messed up things are becoming, it seems to me just in general, longer term backing out, you're going to pay exponentially more for bitcoin and i don't mean five to ten x i mean way more i agree so and, and even a five to ten x would be a really great return but 10x is still only a hundred grand from here that's that's yeah. that's not that far away when you really break it down and even then you don't have mainstream adoption you're a long ways away even at a hundred thousand dollars it's going to go way higher than that then yeah. So, so i think it just depends of like you know maybe it's not bitcoin it's something else and i'm certainly open to listen but I haven't seen anything else. I'm way into investing. I can't think of a better investment than Bitcoin right now. Just I agree. Period. I agree. There's nothing. There's nothing. And maybe there will be someday. But if I look at every single market, I mean, you're going to invest in oil. Is, is housing a better bet than Bitcoin? Which yep. stock is going to outperform Bitcoin? Can you tell me? Like, <laughs> you know, like what, we're going to buy barrels of oil and store them in our backyard because it's worth, it's cheap. I mean, what are, you know, what, what exactly is better? I, I don't think it exists. The problem is most of these assets are all tied to the dollar. I mean, for example, like you said, oil, you know, oil is directly tied to the price of dollar, you know, the petrodollar. Obviously there's dollars, you know, lots of dollars in the stock market. Bitcoin is an asset all on its own. And, you know, as we saw just yesterday, Paul Tudor Jones thinks Bitcoin, you know, resembles gold in the 70s. We know what happened to gold after you know the, the Nixon shock and when when the uh, U.S. dollar was finally removed from the gold standard. So there's a lot of exciting things going on right now, and um, you know, I think people are starting to see Bitcoin's actually probably more than a digital gold. It's 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 really so much more. It's an, it's an open source technology. I mean, it's 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 kind of wild. I mean, it could be like the foundation and the you know the infrastructure for a lot of you know different projects, companies. I mean, it is. It's really crazy uh, you know how much value Bitcoin has and you know over time obviously people are going to have to figure that out and they're going to cuz you know they're going to see the price go up. <laughs> so, it's yeah. funny like you mentioned like like gold for example. Yeah. It, same thesis to a degree, right? A lot of people are saying store value, gold, Bitcoin. All right, you can own a little bit of both. Recently, they needed to ship gold to New York. They couldn't. Yeah. yeah. That affects, that, that, that completely destabilizes prices. If you don't have the, the liquidity, the volume, the ability to receive like Bitcoin, I could, I could sell you some right now and you can yeah. pay me right now. And like, like literally you're like, like QR code, just zoom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's important. The other day, I mean, not to Bitcoin cash, for example, I, I was on another, uh, it was the blockchain summit, whatever it was last week, it was online. And Roger Ver held up QR codes. And if you had the Bitcoin.com app, you could, you could hold it up and then you get like five bucks in Bitcoin cash just immediately that's just funny. by scanning the QR code. I thought it was a cool idea. Yeah, that's cool. Um, 
but it's like try doing that with gold. Am I going to ship you a bar and and or or are you going to buy you're going to buy uh, the gold ETF hmm. where you don't actually hold anything? It's not meant for 2020. Yep. I get this. I get the story, but you know we've seen lots of debates with like Peter Schiff and Pomp. I loved that one. That was pretty oh yeah, cool. that's a good one. And Peter Schiff, every time the price of Bitcoin goes down, we we love this one. He shows up <laughs> as an influencer on our site. Yeah. Because he's trolling the the Bitcoiners. Yep. Um, not because he's bullish, but because he's trolling and gets a lot of lot of engagement back. Yep. I just I just ran both your guys' conversation through the Lunar Crush's analysis, and it's it's <laughs> bullish to very or extremely bullish on Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good in, good indication. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Would you guys prefer or or do you prefer remote work or in person work? I think I know the answer to this question. I I I think both have you know value. Um, I think what this did with, with COVID-19 is really kind of pushed society into the future a little bit with the way that we all should be working. Yep. You know, I think there's, I think there's a huge value of, of sitting face to face with someone and really kind of having an amazing conversation and understanding where they're coming from and really getting a feel for it. I mean, we have communication is such a hard thing and you could say, you know, when you say something to someone, you know, it might not be the same thing that they hear, right? Like they interpret things different. And so more can get lost, I think, when you're constantly working remote. But I think that there's, people need this option, especially, you know, we live in the greater Los Angeles area. We live down in Orange County, California. And it's like, you know, when we go to meetings up in Los Angeles or we want to go somewhere, I mean, that you are dedicating a day. Yeah. Um, in order to get up there, meet, park, you know, the time in the car, like all of these things, like your back hurts, like all these things that... It's just a lot. And so yeah. it's like, if you can remove some of those things and it's, you don't need to be in person, I think that this is kind of the future and you're going to see a lot of happier people working remote. I even think that there's, there's potentially space if companies would be open to it, where I think a lot of time is wasted in travel going to these offices, but I also think there's a lot of distractions at the offices. And so I think that potentially people could have two jobs. Yeah. Um, and two office jobs work for two companies. Like, why is that not an okay thing? And if I'm a company and I pay someone, you know, maybe I'm paying them 30% less to do this exact same job because they are really just wasting a lot of time being there. They can go find another job that would pay them maybe 70% of that salary. Now that person is actually making 140% of what they were making before. And the companies are actually saving money, but that person yeah. gets to output more value. And so I think that this future of work is going to look a lot different, but you know, I think it's like, for example, like a, a podcast like this, right? Like if we're all in the same room interacting differently and everything else, like, it, you know, it's, I think there's some quality to that, but I think that we can get, if we're getting 90% of the way there by being in remote work and all of the bad things are being taken away, then it's like, this is probably what the future should look like. I agree. It's interesting because we had an office and we were going to it three or four days a week. Great office is amazing. And we decided just randomly, what was it? It was March. And we said, you know what? We should just work from home for now because this coronavirus thing might get big. <laughs> and um, yeah. by chance, it was like a week later, like everything was shut down. Wow. And so it, it's kind of weird because if you would have asked, how is it working from home? Like a week after that, I would have said, this is scary. Like crypto is going straight down. Stock market's going straight down. I'm here. Everyone's losing their job. All these people are getting sick and some are unfortunately dying. And it's, 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 it's crazy times, right? Like right, right when this hit, like, like early April was rough. Yeah. And then started to realize, all right, you know, you need to keep moving. We got to keep moving. And maybe just maybe 
this is the best time in history to do a startup, maybe. And so what's happened is we've done nothing but grow. Yeah. Like it's been crazy. And maybe it's because we're in crypto, but like just for example, a stat off the top of my head, we were adding in like beginning, end of March, beginning of April, like 25 to maybe 25 to 30 followers a day on Twitter. We're doing over a hundred followers a day on Twitter now. Wow. And so like, like our traffic, our traffic has gone up on some days four X versus the beginning of March. And so it's like, like our time on site has doubled in the past few weeks. That's awesome. Like I got, like got a lot more time. Like all of our, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, and what's also really, really cool is weekend days are almost busier than weekdays. In fact, many cases they are, especially Saturday. Wow. These are days that if you were ever looked at web analytics, you'd see that your, your weekend traffic falls off because people are going out and having fun and living their life. Mm-hmm. People are now spending more time on the weekends at home. And so yep. it, it, there's some fascinating, interesting, different kinds of trends that we see. I mean, just personally, we're, we're, I'm getting more done. And I feel like my own mental health is really way better. Exercising more, like getting more done. I don't know. No, no complaints other than, yeah, it'd be nice to have more face-to-face um, yeah, with more and, people. But, and I've heard you know. like some of the solutions, you know, if you wanted to have like a little, like, you know, for your team, if you want to have a little uh, get together like every week or something like that, but, but everybody else, you know, works at home most of the week. That's cool. I mean, that, that works. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like anybody really wants to go to the office every single day and, and, you know, have no. to go through traffic. I mean, I'm, and plus people get to spend a lot more time with their families and just, you know, I don't know, just relax. I, I just feel like this is actually the next logical progression for any industry that can, or any, any business that can do work at home. And I feel like most companies can, they just didn't know it. And now they do because they've been forced to realize that. So I totally agree with that. And I bet you guys are, you know, have more time with family and whatnot. It's been good. I'll tell you another thing that's been on, on my mind at least is like, okay, everyone's been locked up for two months now. Some things are starting to open up, especially around here. You're starting to see more traffic on the roads. Some yep. restaurants are kind of opening that were completely shut. Yep. Some stores are kind of starting to get there. And when everyone goes out, it's not going to be the same world they left. And, you know, like I'll give an example. What if, what if you worked at a, a mall, a local mall near, near where you live, right? Yep. And you worked in retail. When you go back, A, a big piece of those, like that customer, tra- that foot traffic is gone. Yeah. Um, on top of that, a huge chunk of those stores will just never open again. Yep. They just, they're done. And so it's, it's not going to be the same world. You know, the unemployment rate is off the charts. Yeah. It's not the same world, no matter what it is you do. If you're in New York, imagine the friction of just going to the office, of taking the subway, of are they going to measure your temperature? Are, you, are yeah. your desks going to be spaced six feet apart or more? How do you actually meet with people? Do you touch the door handle going into that room like you used to? Like all these decisions have so much friction versus, gosh, we're already getting more productivity just having everyone work from home. Why exactly do we have this big office again? Right. So I just think it's a different world with a lot more friction when this opens up and a lot more than people realize. Well, we'll have to see. I mean, just even flying is a nightmare right now. I yep. won't get on a plane, but I keep hearing from other people. Like there's like fights on planes, you know, don't sit next to me. Yeah. Um, airlines overpacking the planes. Like there's all, all people wearing gas masks for six hours on a flight. I mean, like not fun. 
not fun. <laughs> no, it wasn't fun when, when, as it was. Now it's really not fun. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I, I would say is like, what happens to all that, that extra office space when, when a lot of these businesses realize, hey, we don't really need to have an office. We could just have everybody work at home. That's a really interesting question. I mean, maybe they repurpose some of it. I mean, maybe, and you know what, like there has to be, we have to be willing to be wrong on this too. Like I'm definitely in the camp that I think more people like it at home. I mean, maybe it's 50, 50, but it's like, we could be wrong. You know, I, I've heard some stories of people, I mean, you know, in Georgia and Atlanta, like some of the restaurants are, are like, are they're doing okay? Like people are going. So I think, you know, as we get more data, you know, if we find out, you know, two months from now that the, you know, mortality rate of COVID-19 for people under the age of 50 that have no pre-existing conditions, like if we find out that that's like, and once we get more testing and people have antibodies and maybe this takes a lot more time, like maybe we don't do testing, I don't know. But it's like, if we find out that that subset of people and the mortality rate is extremely low, like we're talking like six sigma point zero 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 one or something like that, like like those are like heavy spenders. Those are the people that are going to restaurants. Things will come back a little bit faster. I'm just worried that there's not going to be the same restaurant base there for them, right? Like some of the big companies are the ones that are kind of outlasting everyone. But I mean, even really solid steakhouses and places that have brand names, they're, they're, they're going to be struggling and they're going to be closing their doors soon. And I think that the, the time period in which it gets to where we have a lot of people going back, I don't think we're going to be able to bridge that. Because I don't think people go to think about why people go to restaurants, they go to be seen, they go to have a good meal, they go out right. to meet people uh, and restaurants cannot operate at 50% revenue. No. They, they barely op like most restaurants go out of business, they need to operate at full capacity, like exactly. we're talking just crushing it. And so it's like there is no scenario in which most of these restaurants survive this. And so that on the outside of this, or the other side of this, I think that's going to be super interesting. And even when you look at the unemployment rate, and they're like, and this is why the market outside of like the Fed printing everything known to man and like just yeah. rates going negative and timing announcements of unemployment. It's like getting pretty silly at this point. And they're like, well, most of the people are just in the hospitality business and that will come back. And it's like, no, there's still millions of jobs in manufacturing and millions of mm -hmm. jobs in financial services. And if you would have just looked at that alone compared to 2008, when we lost the jobless claims report was 623,000 was what it maxed out at back in 2000 I think nine or eight. And it's like, Okay, 2 million people in services jobs lost their job, like just in coronavirus. If you took rid of everything else outside of that, that would still be a huge deal. Yet the market is just shrugging everything off. And so I, I think what has happened over the last maybe 30 days and the optimism and the hopium that's out there is might be even more negative if this does go back down because people yeah. are going to be ex like more defeated than they would be if we would have just kind of held steady and, and did what we needed to do. But I think it's, we just don't have enough data yet. Yeah. You know what though? I got a fun story for you guys and, and it happened last night. So we have a, a friend, Danielle, she owns a local French restaurant and it's amazing. And it's called Maison in Dana Point here. And um, she, she learned to innovate. She, she it, like the food's great. She has like a coffee thing to go in there and it's a sit down restaurant and it's like really good French food. And she, partner with a friend of hers that was like this he's a master sommelier which by the way there's only like 150 of them in the united states a master sommelier wine expert and um they did last night they did a at-home wine tasting and she oh, made cool. like food charcuterie boards and he selected these four spanish wines 
And they had people come to all these people's homes and they delivered a box of food and they did a Zoom call last night. And um, that's cool. <laughs> just to say it was a fun morning this morning, waking up <laughs> after that. But, but uh, it was probably better than any dinner I've ever had. And we sat behind our computer, this master sommelier is walking us through every aspect of the wines and where they were made and this and that. And there were about 350 people on this call. And everyone was interacting and chatting with each other and making fun of each other. And it was, it was fun. It was really fun. But I go and say, like, restaurants have shut down and they say, okay, great. Well, to go is good. And the restaurants go, oh, well, that must be all that we can do. No, you could innovate. I mean, right. all, they, all they did last night was use a Zoom account with 300 plus people on one sommelier. It was like a hundred bucks for four bottles of wine and food. They sold it out. They're wow. probably going to do a hundred of these things now. And so it, all that did was it required some innovation just as Grubhub and mm -hmm. Uber Eats applied a little, little bit, but I've got a lot of complaints about those. Half the time they're not even delivering you the right food and right. whatever. But this is a different way to do what they used to do that perhaps may be better. And so yeah. I, I think the, the, the places that not only survive, but thrive in the future, learn to kind of say, okay, well, the world is what it is. What can we do? Not just go, oh, poor me. It didn't work. No one cares. So yeah. you have to figure out how to innovate and how to change. Um, it doesn't mean you can't operate a restaurant profitably and grow. It just means you have to figure out the right way of doing it. And it's, that applies to every business. Yeah, you know, it exactly. could be deliveries are a bigger deal. It could be, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's, that's the beauty of startups. I mean, that's like, you know, right. um, what, what, we think we saw Airbnb come out of 2008. Well, now, you know, Airbnb, you know, for example, is going to have a lot of problems. Um, we'll have to see what, what is yeah. the next innovation. But I, I think we're also going to see a lot of competition in the delivery, the food delivery business as well. A lot of new startups are going to come out of this and a lot of new innovation, like you said, you know, with, with just presenting a, a simple Zoom call and just doing cool stuff like that. I mean, that's that sounds really, really cool. I think a lot of people would enjoy that. Well, and, and also one other point on, on things like Uber and Airbnb, they haven't they haven't lived through a downturn yet. This is their first one. This is their first real genuine round of layoffs. The companies that are born out of this are born out of hard times. They're strong. And so all of those companies, and, and also the VC money has been there for those guys to grow in the billions of dollars of market cap. So it's a different environment. The companies that are starting now are going to grow to be huge companies. Happens every time there's a downturn. Just par for the course. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up now. And um, so I, I want to let you guys uh, have a chance to highlight anything you know specific that you guys uh, are, are working on um, at Lunar Crush or anything that you guys want to highlight in general. And then um, this is a time for you guys to just like explain where's your social media, uh, where's the best way to find more information about you guys, uh, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I could just, you know, find us at Lunar Crush on Twitter, you know, lunarcrush.com. I mean, you know, our, our, you can come to our site and it's free, you know, sign up and you're going to get all of the metrics there right now. Um, you know, so it, it's no cost to go and, and, you know, sign up and get everything. We don't blast you with a bunch of email. We give you like an insights email once a day that kind of keeps you up to date on everything, you know, and our, we're always doing a, a great job of posting on Twitter and getting everything out there. So, you know, if you want to, you know, learn a little bit more about the crypto space and dive a little bit deeper, you know, into some of these projects and get insights that are about community and, and social and find people we have, we look at influencers and the people that are out there that are talking about these projects specifically. And so the people that are getting a lot of engagement, so you can find new people to follow. So, Come check this out. Cool. Yeah, man. All right. Well, I agree with all of that. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on. Um, we'll definitely have to do this again. This is by far my favorite podcast episode uh, that I've done uh, yet. And it's, it's quite long, so that's good. So for anybody, you know, just sitting at home, uh, just chilling out, you guys can uh, obviously listen to this whole episode or watch it on YouTube. Um, again, thank you so much, guys, for coming on. This has been a blast. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah, it. Thanks. Thanks, guys. We just wrapped up the episode on Lunar Crush. We really hope you enjoyed that one. And if you want to check out next week's episode, stay tuned. Make sure you follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to. The next episode is going to be with the CEO of Alpaca Markets, Yoshi Yokokawa. This podcast was a very fun one to record. And we talked about a lot of insightful topics related to how Alpaca Markets works, deep learning in fintech, what the investment investment scene is like in Japan and so much more. You don't want to miss this one, so stay tuned for the next one. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Modern Markets Podcast with your host, Titan. Don't forget to reach out to us. Some of the best ideas we get are from our listeners. And sign up for our free newsletter that comes out every Wednesday. We tackle some of the hardest hitting stories in banking, fintech, and decentralized payment systems.